Now, it's very Hashem, the Prince of Hanan Bi'un, which is a bit more important because uh, for a lot of people, they think Daniel Bi'un is a bit of a haphazard art. You either think of a good question or you don't, and uh, you try to think of an answer and you do or you don't, and just look at the Shadim, look at Akhronim, and look around and see where the Ramakram is are, which doesn't seem to be much of a method that a person has in order how to systematically learn the Sugya. How to systematically learn a sugya and how to open the sugya, explore it. Where you, how you mean to think of a question? How you mean to think of an answer? Just kind of just like, sort of grab the words again and again, start saying, drop into your head. Well, what's the what's the meant to be? Now it's understood that at the beginning, this is why yeshivas have shirim minyan, and the item gets to learn from each rabbi his own approach, his own methodology. The idea of an Iran is meant to be that the Talmud picks up from the Rebbe exactly how he approaches the Sugya, how he learns it, where he saw in the Sugya what he saw, what he takes out of it, and therefore by following the same thought process. In other words, by seeing, going up the Gemara again after Shia, and seeing what was asked, what was answered, how it was asked, how it was answered, over time the person picks it up themselves. And it's true, nothing compares to having a good Rebbe, and the amount that a person can get from someone that they learn from not just for a few weeks or months, but systematically can change the whole way they look at learning and the whole way they learn. And that makes somebody a Talmud. A Talmud of thinks a certain way. A Talmud of Rebbe Bar thinks a certain way. A Talmud of Rebbe thinks a certain way. They've been trained by the Rebbe how to, how to approach learning. And therefore, even if it's in a different sugi or a different Indian, they have a certain methodology which you can see straight away where the where the person's learning skills were trained. So that's for a mechanach who has who has the clear mechanach himself, and the, the point of the share is to give over that mechanach. In order to do that, I'm not giving a share to mechanachim, but I'm giving a share maybe to future mechanachim. So what you need to do in giving, in giving a share, when you're trying to give over a derech rather than just uh, say uh, you know, a nice question answer on the Gemara or a nice vart on the Rashi or whatever it is, or so some achar which is interesting. As a nice cheshman uh, on the thesis, whatever it would be. What a person needs to be a magid sheikh is three things. Like I said, the reason I'm talking about this now, even though we all will be magid sheikh, but maybe not yet, but soon, future. But at least understand how the point of what needs to be given over in the sheikh is, because then after we'll explore each one, and we'll try to work on skills and how to develop it ourselves. I'm saying the first principle I heard, I heard from the Galadar of Shaykh, the Prince of Racha, when he used to advise Megiddi Shurim, who was starting off as Megiddi Shurim, how to structure the Shia. So the first point is that the point of a Shia isn't a Shaykh Hidoshim. The point of a Shia isn't meant to be like, like whatever tremendous idea or new approach or original mahalach the Magdachilla Rosh Hashiva had. If you want to write a Shkodesh Mishra in the Sefer, your point of being a Magdachilla is to help the Talmudim learn the Sefer. Therefore, the first point in doing that is it's important to start from inside the Gemara. Start outside the Gemara and say, the Gemara says, or the Gemara's side is like this, we're going to ask a question, we're going to bring a theory, we're going to like, construct a, something outside is maybe might be a feat of Lundus or showmanship, but it's not something which the time is going to be able to copy because you didn't see where you came from. 
and therefore, the way to develop a good share is to start inside. Read the Gemara. Explain what you ask, what you see in the Gemara, and where you see in the Gemara. And if you're going to develop a principle from the Gemara, then show where you saw it. And if you're going to shoot this Rashi, show where in Rashi you saw shoot this Rashi. Where did Rashi say that? What did you see in Rashi that tells you that Rashi shoot it? If you're going to say the Shittas Rambam is different, then read the Rambam inside. Let the Talmud see where you're getting the information from. Because that's the first point of Lambdas. And that's the important point. Lambdas, or any kind of learning, has to stay grounded. Regular people's minds take a flight to fancy, then it becomes speculation. There's nothing true about it. Yeah, maybe, maybe the tradition holds like this. And if that's the case, maybe this is what he holds. Maybe yes, maybe not. Maybe they hold that, maybe they didn't hold that. It's not meant to be uh, limit, it's meant to be imagination. Which means, if I'm saying this is a certain shit I held, I saw inside, I see where he holds like that. It might be Mufurish, it might be something I have to medaik, it might even be the result of a cheshbun. But if he would say like this, then it must be he says like that. And if my cheshbun actually it works, then I can work, work out what that vision holds. And that's the first thing, therefore, if you're going to say a shit, whatever you're going to say, show where you got it from. Show where you got it from. Show where you got it from. Because besides the fact that that makes the shear concrete, it makes it strong, it gives it a foundation. I'm not just making things up. I say, um, what I say, I have, I have proofs for. I, I can ground it in what I can see inside. That's the first point. The second is it gives the medium a chance to develop their skills at trying to work out the same. If you show how you learn a Rashi, to see what Rashi holds, then you're teaching a, a methodology which people will learn from you. They'll also learn to adapt a Rashi like that. And if you say that, if, uh, that this is a supercetosis because, and you explain to them how you saw it in stasis, then it's not just the point that in this particular circuit people see supercetosis. You're showing them a skill on how to learn what tosis holds out of a tosis. And then to start the shirtis saying, you do it, everyone knows that there's a machlokas, rashi, the rambam, whatever it is, the tosis and the rashi from a certain circuit, is missing the first and most basic step. Who's the everybody who knows? Because that's the raid in the world, because that's what the shirtis are starting to talk about. Where did they get it from? How, do you, how did you decide that was supercetosis? And therefore, it's not a zilzul in the sh- to make it sheer, to read the Gemara inside, to read the Rashi inside, and to explain what you see. Remember, you're starting to level the Talmud, and he's starting to read the Gemara inside. If that's the case, do the same thing, and show what you see, so that you'll learn how to do it as well. There was always the Mahalach, whether it was Barabash I was there for myself to hear a full five years here and back, whether it was by his Rebbe Reb Nachum, whether it was by his Rebbe Reb Baruch Be. Whether it was before that, his by his or Chaim Vilash. It doesn't make a difference. The, the Mahalach of giving the Dakshir was to read inside, to explain the Gemara from the inside. Yes, it became a thing of a Shir Kladi later, which is just a general concept on the Sugya, which became then, like the, so to speak, the idea of the Yeshiva Shashir, the Shir Kladi. The Shir Kladi was never meant to be the Ikka learning, it was meant to be an extra. And I'm going back to my Rebbe Ravash's Shlita. His daily dafshir, he read every single word of the Gemara, Rashi, and Tosis inside. Yes, on Thursday nights, he used to give a two-hour Shia Kladi on the topic of the week. That was an extra. People wanted the extra. Very nice. But it doesn't replace showing someone how to learn by learning inside. So that's the first point. The second point. It's very important to separate between what you can anchor with Arias, and what you're trying to add on, which is this, which might be a logical idea, it might be a good suggestion, but it isn't Arias. It isn't Arias. 
And therefore those things which are clear or aren't argued about. So you have to explain. This is how we get there. Now besides that, I want to add another point. I want to add my, my way of explaining it. So now you have to differentiate. Is your explanation an option? Or can you say that it has to be like that? I can prove that that's the right explanation. There's nothing wrong with suggesting something. But it's important to differentiate in Torah between what's fact and what's suggestive. Why? Because if something, if let's say somebody can be part of suggestion, it doesn't bring the whole pack of cards down. It doesn't destroy everything. That was one point. I suggested this very interview. So okay, but what I said until then, that's that I can prove. Let me give you a marshal for this. On a slightly different point, but it brings up the same idea. They asked the Yaakov Kamenetsky once. What about making books for children to teach them about concepts of Yiddishkeit? Shabbos, Kashras, whatever it's going to be. And uh, how would they do it? Most children's books have fictional characters. You know, birds that come and talk or uh, whatever it's going to be. Something, which, uh, something not completely in where we see reality, but whatever it is. The, if you want, I don't know how, or which, in which area you guys grew up, there used to be something called 613 Torah Avenue, right, where everything spoke. Trees spoke, and the letters spoke, and the, the flowers spoke. Is that a good chinach or not a good chinach? The service of Yaakov held it wasn't a good chinach. Why? Because wherever you cross the line between reality and fantasy, so now everything becomes unclear. Is that part of the reality? As a part of the fantasy. If you, everything you're saying is completely, absolutely factual, and it's true, and the child experiences and he knows it's true, then if you're going to say more, it's true as well. But Barak, you're talking about a fantasy world. It might not even be a bad fantasy world. A fantasy world. A fantasy world where things happen which don't happen in the world we live in. It's something which a child can't relate to is happening because it doesn't happen in our world. In our world, flowers don't talk. Neither do birds. If that's the case, now where does the fantasy end? Maybe everything the bird is saying is also fantasy. So if you can dream of the bird that's talking, you can dream of what the bird said. And if that's the case, you've lost the line between what's Emerson and Shekhar. And even if the bird is telling you wonderful things about Shemir Shabbos, or the flowers are telling you all about the story of Yaakov and Esau, whatever it's going to be, they might say that's all fantasy. It's a great fantasy story, but it's not true. Why? Because in the child's mind, this is all, because you've lost the division. You've broken the boundary between what's Emerson and what's fantasy. And now everything goes in that same question. Is this the MS? Or is this the fantasy? Whereas if you're going to keep a storyline where everything is true and everything could be, and nothing goes into drifts into the world of non-reality, good, then it could be accepted as being MS. It's a good point and it's a sad point now I want to talk about, but just present a point which I wanted to use. And that is a person is learning us the same thing. There's a difference between saying this is what the Ramam holds or saying this is the spar in the Ram. If you know something is 100% right, there's nothing to argue about. So it has to come across as, this is what he says. This is what he says. You can't argue that. Read it inside. Now I want to suggest. I want to suggest maybe this is the, the reason he says this is because this is the shit. I want to suggest, maybe he's saying this to answer a certain question. That's something which, unless I can prove, I don't know with the same clarity as what he holds. I'm suggesting it. I'm allowed to do that. I will talk about how to do that also, by the shame of the future vibes. But it has to be clear. There's a difference between what he holds and what the reason why he holds it is. And, for example, I don't want a shit to hold if it's clear, then no one's going to argue. If you're going to ask the question, 
Why does he hold like that? Now you'll see, there could be lots of arguments, lots of reasons. Sometimes when I'm using the Rambam again as an example, the Rambam is clear what he says. He writes it clearly. He says, Namach is what the Rambam said. For one second, that's an unusual thing to say. What's the spirit in that? You'll see the Kesem Mishnah is going one way, and the Magda Mishnah is going a different way, and the Lechem Mishnah is going a third way. So one second. That's all not clear in the Rambam. That's already interpretation. Interpretation. They're suggesting as far as what the Rambam, what could have been the Rambam, sorry for the same. But that's a mock we can argue about. Maybe you'll find that later, Khalim, because in the civil service, going to be just even more reasons why the Rambam said what he said. That's open to speculation. But are we going to argue what the Rambam said? No, that's clear. And therefore, again, when a person's developing a sugya for Eon, it's very important to make a separation. What is unarguable? What points can we argue about? Because otherwise, Limud becomes, everything becomes a mixer. Now, if you're going to discuss uh, uh, that he holds like this because he says like that. So I said, no, you can't say like that because he says like this. No, he didn't hold like that either. And then everything just gets confusing. What, what, what did he hold? What could he have held? What, what, if I argue with this, I'm also arguing with that. Was that, oh, they're not connected? Which is a lot of the reason why people get mixed up in Limud. Because they never, nothing was built clearly at the beginning of, of what's basically grounded in fact. And what's not? What can I argue with? What can't I argue with? Dine. If the Magad is going to suggest a spire in the Tosfos, I can argue for spire. But I can't argue for Tosfos. So how much did he say? And how much did the Tosfos say? So that's to make it clear. And why I'm saying this, and I'm trying to emphasize the point, is because this is a big fault which a lot of people give Shirin do. That they so much lack their explanation. So that's what Tosfos said. That's his shot. Is it? Or is it your pshat how you want to explain Tosis? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And I'll show you where you see it so clearly. I'm not saying we're doing something wrong, but naturally we make this mistake, and it's understood why. And that is, when you learn a Gemara for the first time. So you don't know what the Gemara is saying, so you look at Rashi. Look at the Gemara, look at Rashi, look at the Gemara. Fine, now you understand what the Gemara is saying, because Rashi helped you a lot. Now you learn a different religion who wasn't a Talmud of Rashi. In my example again, you learn the Tosis you learn the Rambam. They weren't talking about Rashi. He said, one second. How can this be? The Ram is arguing from a first Gemara. The Ram is arguing from a first Gemara. The Gemara is the opposite. The Ram can't argue with the Gemara. It's a big problem. But if you look carefully, you'll see he's not arguing with the Gemara. He's arguing with Rashi's explanation of the Gemara. He understands the Gemara differently. But because when you read the Gemara, you don't read to Rashi, so you assume that's what the Gemara means. And I'm not saying you did the wrong thing, because you start with, always start with Rashi. But you have to think, what did the Gemara say? And what did Rashi say the Gemara said? How's he explaining the Gemara? And it makes a big difference. Because like I said, you can't argue with the Gemara. But if it isn't the Gemara, this is the way Rashi is interpreting the Gemara, then there's a Malcolm to say differently. I'm not bound to that. I could say not like that. And, and it's the same you said. It's only by the Akronim. It's a Pesach Mishnah The... Take any Akronim. The Shach, the Taz. They explain this what the Shachan Aruch means. Okay, that's that up. Then you say, Ah, the Kharim says, Ah, one second, how can I argue with Shachan Aruch? And the answer is, They're not. They're not. They're arguing with the explanation of Shachan Aruch. You can explain it differently. And that's what you say. When you say this, then it's, it's very clear, it's very important to clarify at each stage what are they saying, what are you saying? What's the, what's the Mephorah saying? How am I explaining it? And that's what I'm saying. <coughs> because that gives, the, otherwise things lose clarity. And yes, I'm giving you a chance to be
Because when you see your chat and yourself and listen, it's so clear to you that you think it's massively what he's saying. I'm sure that's what he's saying. I'm, 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 I thought of the idea and I can see it. And it's, yeah, maybe yes, maybe not. Can you prove it? And that's what we've spoken about this before. The Gemara goes to such great length in sugya after sugya to bring the right to argue with the right. It's not a right. It is a right. It could be like that. Maybe it means something else. That could train in this point. And then the time I say something, well, how do you say such a thing? What's the mission? Is it a mission? It's okay if you maybe the mission is something else. Or the wings of Bryce. Is the Bryce right? No, maybe the Bryce is not right. Oh, the Bryce says maybe the Bryce means something else. Maybe the extra word in the Bryce. The point of the Gemara going through the sugya is, is to show you this principle. And that is, you have to differentiate. What did the Matanas say? What did the Amora say? Because you can't argue with the Tana. I'm looking from the eyes of the Gemara now. You can't argue with the Tana, you can argue with the Amora. So is what the Amora is saying exactly what the Tana said? And then that's okay, it's be stuck, you can't argue with it. But he said, no, it's not exactly what the Amora said. The Tana is the one, the Amora is somebody else. And if that's the case, you can't argue with the Tana, but you can't argue with the Amora. It's the same thing, we're just talking to Tana and Bamaran. It's the same thing at any stage. A good nugget share, clarifies. This is what it says. I'll prove it to you. I'll show it to you inside. Now, this is what I want to ask. This is what I want to explain. It might be an explanation, and that's great. It's your explanation. You're allowed to suggest in Torah. But it has to be clear what's what. The dogma. Let's say I'm learning with Shulchan Aruch. So what's the reason for that offer? So I suggest a svar. No one's going to tell me, you know what? If you your svar, there's going to be enough to win in the halacha. And if you said that's what the Shulchan Aruch meant, so then there'll be enough to win in somewhere else. Let's give an example we learned today. So the Rosh says the reason for the Sadaim is because the person has to have clean hands for davening. And if that's the case, the person can't daven without clean hands. That's what Chazal will be talking, the person has to wash his hands with the Rosh before davening. It's a nice part. The Rosh is a different part. One second. There's going to be a big difference over here. Because according to the Rosh, what about Mincha? What about Mary? If the Rosh is, you have to have clean hands for davening, and Chazal will be a Rosh for that. And the feed that's far, you're gonna to have to wash it with a bracha to tell us before mincha also. Really? That's what the Gemara said. The Gemara said you have to wash with your hands with a bracha before dying. No, the Gemara didn't say that. The Gemara said in the morning you have to wash your hands with a bracha. The Rosh is giving us far. The Rosh is far, now you're gonna come up with that answer because that's what's gonna happen if, if you go with the far. Now, so, as we can say, the Rosh holds you have to wash your hands before. Mincha with the bracha. That's his svar in the Gemara. That's not what the Gemara said. Why am I saying that? Because if you look at Hilchas Mincha, the Shulchan Aruch doesn't say that. The Shulchan doesn't say you have to wash your hands with the bracha before the Mincha. How can it be? He just says the Gemara. And the Gemara says you have to wash your hands before the bracha. No, the Gemara didn't say that. That was the Rosh's svar in the Gemara. The Rosh pronounced differently. And the Shulchan Aruch doesn't go with the Rosh. He goes with the Rosh on this point. And that's why it's important to differentiate. Who said what? What's clear? It's the first two rules we gave from Magadish Shrim tonight. Number one, to differentiate between what's clear and what I can show inside where I got it from. Teach people how to build something. Teach them where you saw it and where you pick, where, 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 like where does it say that? Show them. Show someone where it says something. That way it's not just speculation. But you can show someone this is where I got it from. This is where it says it. This is how I explained it. This is how I developed it. This is how I proved it. That's the first point. That's a big point in teaching someone how to learn is how to build a foundation which you can prove. And the second point, there's differentiate between what was said and what you added. At any stage, what the Tana said, what the Amara added. What the Gemara said, what the Rishan explained. What the Rishan suggested, how the Achan interpreted that. What the Achan says and how I want to use my explanation. And that's okay. We can develop stages more by more, but it has to be clear where it is. 
that's because who's saying what? Because that's where we can understand which points are unarguable and which points are arguable. Which points are clear and which points are subject to disagreement. Very often. This is after you give a share, so the owner comes to argue with you about something. Reverse your stuff. You're not arguing with me. You're arguing with the Gemara. Right? Well, you said this. That was what the Gemara said. I said something else. I came to explain it. You don't agree with the explanation, you argue with the explanation. But you can't argue with the Gemara said. Now, I can try to explain it. But, but the, the, where does this problem come from? Because it wasn't clear. It's not like the magic shows the whole thing. No, he wasn't. He started with the Gemara, and he added that that's what the Gemara said, and now he's coming to add an extra step on that. So the Gemara, you can't argue with. You want to argue with what he added, his explanation? Okay, that's a different point. But again, the idea is to keep it clear. So keep all the steps in the pyramid clear, because that way it gives a, a certain shlemus of understanding where everything fits in, or how things can fit in. We have two more rules, Hashem, and we'll learn how to use these rules after that. We'll leave that for next week.